30 seconds has begun. Chair, staff is ready when you are. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome back. We're going to call this meeting to order. This is the City of Sacramento Planning and Design Commission meeting. Today is Thursday, January 11th, 2024. The time is 5.33 p.m. We have Clerk Heather here with us today, and shadowing her is Cecilia. So if you wouldn't mind, please calling the roll to establish a quorum. Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Andrade. Commissioner Blunt. Present. Commissioner Buckley. Here. Commissioner Chase. Here. Commissioner Caden. Here. Commissioner Lamas. Here. Commissioner Macias Reed. Here. Commissioner Thompson. Here. Commissioner Wallace. Here. Commissioner Zhang. Here. Commissioner Young. Here. And Chair Hernandez. Here. Did you say Lamas, not Wallace? <laughs> um, I think I said both. <laughs> it's the new year. Welcome back, everybody. We're here. It's a full house. Appreciate it. Do we have a quorum? Thank you, Chair. We do have quorum. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, I just want to take a second to uh, welcome Commissioner Robert Blunt, who took his oath of office yesterday, and this is his first meeting. When we get to the Commissioner comments portion of the agenda, towards the end, we'll have some time for you to introduce yourself. So for now, uh, we'll continue on with regular business, uh, which is instructions for public participation. I see we have a full house today. I'd like to remind members of the public uh, in the chambers that if you would like to speak on any ag agenda item, to please turn in a speaker slip. Um, staff I here at the staff desk will help you out with that. Um, everyone will have three minutes to make their comments on their item. We'll now move on to the land acknowledgement. Everyone could please rise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Petwindwintum people, and the people of Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you very much. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. You may be seated. So we will now move on to the director's report. And for that, I'll turn it over to Stacia. Thank you, Chair. Just one item for the director's report this evening, a reminder that the application period for the 2024 planning, and, uh, planning Academy, which is run by the City of Sacramento, is still open. It will close at the end of the month on January 31st. So I encourage anyone who might be interested in applying to um, go online. Just do a search for City of Sacramento Planning Academy, and you'll find the page online with more information and a link to apply. Thank you. Thank you, Stacia. This item is received and file. No vote is required, so we will move on to the consent calendar. Um, so on the consent calendar, we have approval of the draft meeting minutes from our special meeting on November 29th and our regular meeting minutes on December 14th. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? 
Thank you, Chair. There are no speaker slips for this item. Thank you very much. We'll close public comment period and bring the discussion back to commissioners. Commissioners, any questions or comments on the minutes? This would also be the time to make a motion. Do we have any members? Okay, here we go. Uh, Vice Chair Wallace. I'd like to move approval of minutes. I have a motion by Vice Chair Wallace. Commissioner Macias-Reed. Second. And we have a second by Commissioner Macias-Reed. Um, Clerk, will you please call the roll for a vote? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Uh, Commissioner Andrade. Aye. Commissioner Blunt. Uh, I abstain as I wasn't present for this meeting. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Buckley. Aye. Commissioner Chase. Aye. Commissioner Caden. Aye. Commissioner Lamas. Aye. Commissioner Macias-Reed. Aye. Commissioner Thompson. Aye. Commissioner Wallace. Aye. Commissioner Zhang. Aye. Commissioner Young. Abstain. And Chair Hernandez. Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll now move on to the public hearing. We have three items on the public hearing calendar. The first two, item number two, Natoma's Bottle Shop, and item number three, H Mart Retail Store, are both being continued to January 25th, um, but we will still make a motion, need to make a motion to continue those items. So we'll move to those rather quickly and then start begin our uh, presentation on item number four. So item number two, Natoma's Bottle Shop, P23-027. As I mentioned, we are continuing this item to January 25th. 25th. Uh, we do not have a presentations or discussion on this item. However, if there are any members of the public here today who wish to speak on the motion to continue, we will hear from you now. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the continuance? Thank you, Chair. There are no speakers for this item. Thank you very much. We're closing public comment period. Commissioners, I'm looking for a motion to continue this item. Commissioner Macias-Reed. I make a motion to continue the item. Thank you very much. We have a motion. Commissioner Zhang. I'll second the motion. We have a motion and a second. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Andrade? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Macias-Reed? Aye. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you all very much. Item number three is next. This is H Mart Retail Store P23-029. We are continuing this item to January 25th. We do not have a presentation or discussions. However, if there are members of the public who wish to speak on the motion to continue, we'll hear from you now. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the continuance? Thank you, Chair. There are no speakers for this item. Thank you. We'll close public comment period. And commissioners, I'm looking for a motion and a second to continue this item. Commissioner Macias-Reed. I will make a motion. Thank you. We have a motion from Commissioner Macias-Reed. Commissioner Thompson. I second. We have a second by Commissioner Thompson. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Andrade. Aye. Commissioner Blunt. Aye. Commissioner Buckley. Aye. Commissioner Chase. Aye. Commissioner Caden. Aye. Commissioner Lamas. Aye. Commissioner Macias-Reed. Aye. Commissioner Thompson. Aye. Commissioner Wallace. Aye. Commissioner Zhang. Aye. Commissioner Young. Aye. And Chair Hernandez. Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you, Clerk. 
All right, we are now on item number four. This is the third party appeal of Contemporary Commons Z22-079. For commissioners and the public, uh, this is the order in which we will hear this item uh, in terms of process and procedure. Um, commissioners, uh, I'll call on you first for any disclosures or recusals. If you have any meetings, um, now would be the time to make any disclosures or recusals. We'll go to staff for a presentation, followed by a presentation by the applicant, and then the appellant will make a presentation. Following that, we'll bring the discussion to commissioners to ask questions only. So that will be the question portion. Uh, so while you're hearing from staff, the applicant, and the appellant, please prepare any questions for that time. Following questions, we'll move on to the public comment period. So if you've turned in your speaker slip, that's the time when we'll call on the public to come to the, to the lecture and make public comments. Following public comments, uh, the appellant will have the opportunity to do a rebuttal. And following all of that, um, to close it out, we'll bring the debate and uh, discussion and motion portion back to the dais. So with that, we'll start with disclosures and recusals. Um, first, we'll go to uh, Commissioner Macias Reed. Yes, I uh, spoke with the appellant. Thank you very much. Vice Chair Wallace. I received an email from the applicant, but I did not um, connect with them, but it was on uh, issues consistent with the staff report. Thank you, Vice Chair. Commissioner Young. I had an email from the applicant. Um, didn't, everything was consistent with the staff report, and I had a 15-minute phone conversation with the appellant consistent with the staff report. Thank you. Commissioner Buckley. I, uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I uh, did a site visit today and incidentally spoke to concerned neighbors. Thank you. Commissioners Zhang or Chase? Chase, Commissioner Chase. Uh, yes, I had a telephone conversation with the applicant. Thank you. Commissioner Lamas. I had an email correspondence with the applicant, uh, brief correspondence consistent with the staff report. Thank you very much. Um, I also received an email from the applicant. I had uh, phone conversations with the applicant, uh, members of the community, as well as a uh, representative from council member, member district six. Um, and all of that was uh, regarding issues contained in the staff report. So uh, we'll now move on to staff presentation. Uh, we have a presentation by associate planner Zach Dalla. Um, commissioners, please also be aware um, that we have staff available here from preservation, environmental, and urban forestry to answer additional questions. Zach, whenever you're ready. Good evening to the chair and fellow commissioners. <clears throat> My name is Zach Dahl, associate planner with the Community Development Department. The item before you tonight is the third party appeal of the Contemporary Commons Project, um, file number Z22-079. The proposed project is located at 707 Commons Drive, north of the intersection of Commons Drive and Campus Commons Road within the office business low-rise mixed-use zone and Campus Commons plan unit development. The project site contains a a vacant office building with mature and mature landscaping on site. The applicant is proposing to demolish the existing building and remove all on-site trees to facilitate the construction of a 24-unit condominium development. Each condominium unit will have a two-car garage with access via a new driveway off Commons Drive. To facilitate this, the applicant has requested the following entitlements. A tentative map to subdivide a one-acre parcel <clears throat> for condominium purposes resulting in 24 airspace dwelling units within six fourplex buildings, site plan and design review to demolish an existing office building and construct six three-story residential fourplex structures resulting in 24 dwelling units and associated site improvements with a deviation to rear yard setbacks. And lastly, a tree permit for the removal of 10 private protected trees. 
The project was heard and approved by the zoning administrator and design director at a special director hearing on November 6, 2023. However, third-party appeals of both decisions were filed by residents of the neighboring Campus Commons community. The basis of the appeals centered on similar issues raised in the 266 letters of opposition staff received during the processing of the discretionary application. Specifically, the appellant identifies concerns with the demolition of a potentially historic building, the removal of the on-site private protected trees, and the design, uh, <clears throat> design layout and density of the proposed development being out of character with the surrounding campus commons community. The appellant also states that the project is inconsistent with the general plan and campus commons plan unit development. Staff has evaluated these issues identified in the third party appeal documentation and provided a response to all issues raised as an attachment to the staff report. Overall, staff maintain that the project is consistent with the general plan and relevant policies, is within the allowed density range of the general plan and zoning code, is consistent with the campus commons plan unit development, <clears throat> is consistent with the tree permit requirements for the removal of the on-site private protected trees, and meets the purpose and intent of all development standards of the, of the office business, <clears throat> office business uh, zone. Additionally, the project would not result in the demolition of a potentially historic resource, as the preservation director has concluded that the building is not a listed or eligible historical resource and does not object to the demolition of the structure. Based on the analysis, in the, uh, <clears throat> based on staff's analysis of the appeal, staff maintain our original recommendation to approve the project and recommend the commission deny this third party appeal. And with that, that concludes my presentation and happy to answer any questions that you have. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much, Zach. I believe uh, Ms. Catherine Bardis-Marie is here as a representative of the applicant. Uh, Catherine, are you ready to make a presentation? Wonderful. Please join us here, uh, and we're ready whenever you are. Thank you so much. Good evening, commissioners and chair. Thank you for your time tonight as we navigate this neighbor appeal of our contemporary commons project. We want to first start out by thanking staff for their detailed and robust staff report, as well as the concise presentation tonight. We've worked closely with staff and certain community members to present what we believe to be a very, very thoughtful project that will only enhance the neighborhood. Campus Commons is a beautiful and unique environment. Change can be hard, and we understand that certain anxieties that might come with this. However, we firmly believe that the removal of a long, vacant, dilapidated office building subject to eight break-ins and five police reports in the last 45 days is time for it to go and breathe new life into this corner. With the replacement of 24 homes, we will not only maintain the unique campus commons environment, but enrich it. I'd like to point out that our team's rehab background is one of the most extensive in the city, dating back to the restoration and relocation of the historic Dunn Mansion in the 80s, now currently located at 22nd and L Street, in addition to 50 other properties within the area. If there is a successful way to reuse a building, we will look into it. Whether of historic significance or not, we always strive to first look for a way to remodel or reuse instead of proposing demolition. But here, 
we firmly believe that new housing is the right path. Our project design is a modern interpretation of the ranch-style architecture seen through Campus Commons. Since project inception, we have had a total of five in-person general neighborhood or HOA meetings, an additional three virtual meetings, and numerous phone conversation and one-on-one -on -one meetings with neighbors. Though some of the, through some of the initial meetings, we modified our design to address these concerns. These modifications included site design changes resulting in a reduction of unit count, driveway location and elimination of the current shared driveway, setbacks from zero to upwards of 15 feet, elevations to include similar materials and color palette to what you see in the surrounding community, visibility concerns at the corner of Commons Drive and Campus Commons Road, and finally, expanded covered porches to add for better street visibility and eyes on the street security. We appreciate the construction neighborhood feedback and believe we integrated what reasonable concerns we could. To quickly highlight some of the staff's comments, I'd like to also reiterate. The property zoning allows for a total of 36 units per acre, while we are proposing 24 units which is 40% less than what could be allowed. There is a one-to-one -one parking requirement. We are proposing a two-to-one. We exceed the amount of required open space, and our project is within the general plan and zoning requirements of the site, and what we are proposing is consistent by right. At the end of the day, we are bringing forward what will be a thriving residential community, adding additional public safety surveillance ownership, and neighborhood vitality, vitality, cultivating a greater sense of community ownership and community diversity. In an effort of time and knowing that we have a number of public comments here tonight, I'll conclude my general project overview and ask if you have any questions of myself or our team here tonight. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, I believe uh, Mr. Carr Kunz is here as a <coughs> representative of the ap appellant. Is Mr. Carr Kunz prepared to make a presentation? Kunzi, pardon my pronunciation. <coughs> and uh, we've received some documents that we can pass around for the date for commissioners to review. Thank you. Good evening, members of the commission. My name is Carr Kunze. I'm a member of the Campus Commons community who is in opposition to the Contemporary Commons project. Uh, the primary issues in our appeal regard the development's nonconformance to the city's general plan and the Campus Commons plan unit development, as well as the destruction of the historic existing office building losing the significant urban design function that it plays between the residential and the commercial areas of the PUD, and the proposed removal of protected trees on the project site. 
We ask you to revoke approval of this project. The developers violate the land use element, LU 2.1.2, which provides for the protection of established neighborhoods. Planting and Development Code 17.104, 100D states, when conflicts occur between the requirements of this title and development guidelines adopted for a PUD, the requirements of the PUD development guidelines apply. The proposed development parcel is within the area designated as Campus Commons PUD. Accordingly, it must respect and abide by the schematic development plan, which you see up there, amongst a couple of others, um, previously approved for the district. The city's misplacing of these documents should not serve as an excuse for not applying objective, physically present, and extent uh, measurable evidence of such standards. Such evidence, such as setbacks, extensive tree cover, may be consistently found in all the other office buildings developed within Campus Commons PUD, as well as the villages and homes in the residential portions of the PUD. It is clear that the plan calls for three things. One, that there be abundant treescape in the Garden City's modes throughout Campus Commons in residential as well as commercial areas. Secondly, that significant setbacks occur throughout. And third, that the 707 Commons building, already included in that plan, as a, act as a community entry fulcrum with large landscape frontage linking the commercial and residential areas. Campus Commons was designed and initially developed as a city within the city, including schools, places of work, common shopping, residential uh, uses, something more than just simply a PUD, as the city's planners have come to know them. Rather, it follows in the Garden City's tradition, as well as some post-World War II new towns and the Greenbelt communities. We argue that the PUD must contain, continue to contain, except what is known as exceptional environmental characteristics, as cited in the Commons formative doc documents. This includes an intentional Garden City look, with buildings clustered among the landforms. In regards to the design issues, we want to highlight the following additional items for your further consideration. A CEQA exemption does not apply here because the proposal violates general plan and city zoning code provisions regarding urban forestry policies, architectural compatibility policies, as well as historical preservation. Moreover, in terms of infill, the proposal violates the city's own infill design standards. For example, principle, new duplex and multi-unit residential developments shall consider the scale and character of the adjacent residential neighborhood. The proposed design does not meet those standards. It's massing and scale or inconsistent. And section 18 says, design principle, duplex and multi-unit projects shall be compatible with their surroundings with respect to building height, width, surface area, setbacks, and articulation. 
The building design does not meet these standards. Trees. The project is inconsistent with the city's tree ordinance for two reasons. First, the ordinance itself does not allow for the removal of healthy, protected trees. Unless removal is required, quote, to use the property for any permitted use of right or by discretionary permit under the code. For the zoning district in which the property is located and the use could not be made of the property unless the tree is removed. In this case, the proposed multi-unit development with 22 units per acre does not require the removal of protected trees. Such trees are proposed for removal only be due to the much larger building footprint proposed by the developer. The city staff report says that the Housing Accountability Act prevents the city from lowering the requested density. But the HAA does not prevent the city for requiring design changes that retain the such density while also heritage trees are protected by the tree ordinance. Secondly, the tree replacement plan does not provide for the replacement of one tree for each private protected tree removed. Instead, the replacement plan proposes to plant young trees in locations where there is no possibility of long-term growth to replace the heritage trees that are proposed for removal. In sum, the developer's tree replacement plan is not sustainable. The planned space is inadequate for canopy trees and the trees will require removal before they can reach their mature size. At a minimum, the 90-inch and the 55-inch diameter coast redwoods should be preserved. Coastal redwoods are evergreen and are sequestering significant amounts of carbon 365 days a year. Removal of so many protected trees is in conflict with Sacramento's Climate Action Plan which calls for more, not less, canopy trees. Trees are the first line of defense in combating climate change. The developers and city staff, yeah, we have some water. Um, claim that the design is compatible with the existing neighborhood. Yet, it is completely at odds with the actual plan, with the scale, density, placement, landscaping materials, and more in stark contrast to every quality of the surrounding PUD. The office building is a critical linking element between the residential and commercial PUDs. The building's placement, projecting from the commercial PUD into the residential areas, provided its architect, Charles Warren Callister, with a means via earth mounding and open space elements to both differentiate the two functional areas while providing an architecture to tie them together. The square service structure appended to the front of the building with a pyramidal roof is picked up in the pergola stretching across the rear side of the office building that terminates with a pyramidal gazebo. These pyramid-shaped forms tie to the pyramid-shaped roof, roofs of 
the homes adjacent and across the street in villages one and two. At the same time, the 707 building expresses the horizontality and double-pitched roofs of the double-pitched roofs of the adjacent townhouses together with similar fenestration and window proportions. Let's see if I get anything out here. All right, there's some of it. Um, first noted there are uh, the Harvard models with the pyramid-formed roofs. Secondly, the pergola uh, at the uh, back side of the building, as we know it, it's actually two-sided. Uh, and then the uh, uh, utility structure, in which I reference. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, trellising is uh, repeated throughout campus commons. The exquisitely detailed concrete columns at 707 Commons would be a most unfortunate loss. Suburban office structures are unable to replicate such workmanship today. The boxed, in terms of architecture, the boxed out projections proposed with wide band fascias, framing selected windows replicates a theme used by a few recent designers to use such elements principally in multifamily structures Rarely, rarely, and not essentially in multi, single or family or townhouses, the proposed development is more suitable, frankly, to the faceless mediocrity of the new apartment complexes at 65th Street and Folsom Boulevard. The revised design elements remain a, remains a box with various punched-out elements, trite and meaningless awnings, and roof peaks that lack any relationship to the neighborhood. The clipped roof line trim does not reinforce the limited horizontality, even as it ex is expressed in the structure's own midsection. The density of the development is two to three times greater than that of the surrounding neighborhood at 22 units per acre versus 6.78 units per acre in campus commons. The and that's the average for the community. The adjacent structures uh, are up to 12 units per acre. The preservation director's decision was arbitrary and capricious. The staff analysis ignored evidence we submitted together with that of Professor Matthew Lasner, an architectural and planning historian and expert on the works of Charles Warren Callister, as well as having inferentially disparaged historic environment consultants study uh, that we retain recommending the building's preservation. The staff analysis omitted several strong characteristics of the building's design, tying it to the community while emphasizing features inherent to an office building, but otherwise irrelevant to its overall context. Moreover, the staff analysis abridged a section of the Secretary of Interior's guidelines for delineating historic districts in a manner that was quite contradictory to the actual thrust of those guidelines, which would have otherwise required the building's inclusion in such a delineation. The city's procedure did not provide an opportunity to, to appeal the preservation director's decision. In so doing, we have been denied administrative due process. 
And there's an additional problem. The developer-sponsored SWCA study was authored by the vice chair of the city's preservation commission. What kind of conflict does that present? Can the staff truly be truly neutral when evaluating a study prepared by one of its own commissioners? We urge the city to consider the 707 building a historic landmark. The 707 Commons building, as designed by an acknowledged master architect of the era, was planned and serves as transitional architecture and landscape element tying together the larger campus commons planned community. It links both architecturally as well as through its large landscape and arbor filled spaces. The office commercial areas and residential areas to the office within the campus commons community. As Professor Lasner noted, the building is likely a rare surviving example of this quality of low-rise office building executed in the Northern California tradition. Otherwise, we concur with the developer's SWCA environmental consultant's conclusion under Criterion 3, quote, the 707 Commons Drive does appear to be a cohesively designed and contributory component building within Campus Commons. Given Callister's known association with master plan community design and Campus Commons's identification as a notable development in Sacramento during the mid 20th century, 707 Commons Drive merits evaluation as a potential district contributor under Criterion 3. Close quote. This is a run of a, otherwise a run of a mill housing development, which proposes to cut down over a dozen large protected trees and destroy a historical landmark in the area, and the city appears not to care about these losses. This project could go anywhere. It could go on the adjacent parcel at an, and offering and in doing so at an increased density to that parcel. There is no, if done as a PUD, there is no reason for the city to approve the project verbatim as proposed by the developer. We urge the city to deny the approved project as presently proposed. And I would say, uh, just lastly, I made reference to transferable development rights as used in several other California municipalities for situations such as these. That approach through the PUD should be applied, thereby the densities to which the 707 property is otherwise eligible could be transferred and added to that of the 350 university property. Thanks so very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Kunze. Appreciate your, your time here with us today. Uh, commissioners, we've heard presentations from staff, from the applicants and the appellant. Um, we also have, as I mentioned, the following staff available. Sean DeCourcy from Preservation, Tom Buford and Scott Johnson from Environmental, and Kevin Hawker and Colleen Costa from Urban Forestry. So now would be the time to ask questions. Um, commissioners, uh, what questions do you have for any of those folks? Um, we're on questions only. Please uh, hold your comments um, for until we hear from the public. Commissioner Buckley. 
Thank you, Chair. Um, I had a question for maybe staff or for the um, the applicant. Um, Concerning um, the trees, particularly the two large redwoods, was there any consideration of alternative site plans that might accommodate them staying in place? Uh, <clears throat> Zach, Community Development Department. Uh, we'll defer to the applicant in regards to the trees. Yeah, hi. Um, we did go through a number of site iterations to see what tree preservation could occur. And with the site restrictions and the zoning requirements, knowing that both um, the density, I would say almost limitations, having to be do between 18 and 36 to, you, to an acre, um, plus the tree canopy avoidance requirement with the city tree ordinance and um, the fact that the buildings, if they were to be res residential, had to be triplexes or more units per building, um, we were unable to preserve specifically the redwood trees. Thank you. Um, my next question might also be for the applicant, um, but um, there have been concerns raised around where um, garbage bins and you know city waste type things might go. Um, were there any uh, discussions about how to mitigate that? I don't think it's a community that generally has those types of things in uh, in the street. Um, were there any discussions about how to mitigate any of that? Yes. So <clears throat> during the process, we routed the project to solid waste and solid waste reviewed the site plan and there's not enough turnaround um, on site for garbage trucks to pull in and pick up on site. Um, so there's limitations. Um, we need to keep a 24 uh, width of the driveways and on site roadways. So there just wasn't enough space to accommodate the units um, for on site pickup. Thank you. And um, in the um, appellant's argument, I heard a charge that um, maybe not all of the components of the infill definition were considered. And I, I generally, I think about that in terms of adjacency and um, and prior use, right? Um, are, are there more considerations for um, whether or not a site is defined as infill than those things that I saw in the staff report? So the reference I was made during the appellant's um, presentation regards to the infill design standards, those are objective design standards that we're going through, um, I guess, a ministerial process. The correct design guidelines in relation to this project are the citywide design guidelines. Infill, <clears throat> as it relates to the CEQA, there's specific CEQA guidelines that we have to follow in terms of it being, you know, surrounded by urban on all sides, so it's developed on all sides with adjacent uses, uh, existing roadways, um, and under five acres. Um, so the site itself is infill. Um, you're doing an infill development there. Um, and, but the correct design guidelines are not the infill objective design guidelines. They're going to be the citywide design guidelines. Thank you. That's helpful. Um, I think that's all I have, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Commissioners, any questions for staff, the applicant, or the appellant? 
Seeing and hearing none, we'll next move on to, oh, excuse me, before I move on, Commissioner Young. Um, I have a series of questions, so I'm gonna try to have them organized as, as best as I can. Um, the first question I have is, is for the planning staff, and, and I know that I asked this in, in, in an email, but I, I think I just kinda need to hear it again. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of interested in, in kind of how staff considered the application of, you know, the different design standards, right? So I, I think there was a mention of a 1965 PUD that had maybe some design guidelines or, or principles in it, but that was lost. And then reference to a 1969 PUD, which, which resulted in some updates. But I think um, eventually there was an application to kind of more current design standards because I think those PUD design standards weren't really um, fully articulated. And so if you could just maybe kind of share the rationale and, and kind of the steps of how that was applied. Yes. <clears throat> so staff's review of the PUD, so it's a unique PUD. So it was adopted um, in like, I believe it was 1965. So it was prior to kind of the contemporary PUD requirements where we, when you're adopting a PUD, you can set um, specific development standards and guidelines in relation to how you want the community to look. At this time, when it was originally adopted, it was prior to that. So there was mention of in the future adopting design guidelines or standards in the future. And as you start looking, it's kind of a moving document. So we start in 1965 and we start doing PUD amendments throughout the years. And as staff has looked at it, in 1969, which was referenced, um, there isn't necessarily any design guidelines or standards within that document that we noticed. All it is is it's kind of general themes. For instance, the uh, exceptional environmental characteristics is a theme. But it does not know what that means or what, how that's applied in terms of a design guideline or the principles within that. And as staff reviewed the remainder PUD amendments, we looked to see what is relevant to this project site. You know, what, what has been adopted by um, you know, the Planning and Design Commission that relates to it. All the different PUD amendments were related to um, other sites, not to this site. So there's no development standards that were adopted relevant to this site in that PUD. Um. The, uh, the next question I had, thank you very much, by the way. Um, the next question I had um, was for the um, Historic Preservation Director. Oh, great, we have Sean here. Hello, good evening, Commissioners. Sean DeCourcy, Historic Preservation Director. Hi, Sean. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe, um, in the staff report, um, it discussed sort of a determination that was made by you um, that the commercial building was not um, eligible for the historic register. And um, I was hoping to maybe get a little bit of context and color as far as kind of what what went behind your justification. I, I, I saw some vague reference, well, not a vague reference, a reference to like 50 years, so I don't know if, if maybe because of that, that time period, it, that was kind of like the, the nail in the coffin, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but I would like to know just kind of a little bit more about kind of what, what was your rationale for um, denying, denying the um, application for 
recommending it as ineligible. Um, yes, so there's a, uh, in, in the zoning code, there's a provision in the historic preservation uh, section of the code. There's a provision for a preservation director preliminary determination for buildings that are over 50 years old proposed for demolition. So in this case, we review it along with the, with the development proposal for the site. Um, and as, as a matter of process, an application comes in, um, the planner will route it to me with a request for a preliminary determination. If I have any questions or I don't have enough information, I will request a historic evaluation of the property in question. And this is any structure. It can be a garage. It can be a bridge. Um, I will request a historic evaluation. So um, the applicant can retain our on-call consultants who happen to be historic environment consultants, or they can hire their own historic consultants. That's their choice. In, the, in this case, they retained SWCA historic environment consultants. Um, one, of the, one of the members, uh, or actually the, the preparer, is a member of the Preservation Commission, which is not uncommon, um, as the appellant mentioned. The, um, the appellants retained historic environment consultants uh, after the recommendation by SWCA that the building was not eligible. Um, and I should add that I should give a little, uh, a little bit more context about the SWCA evaluation. So the SWCA evaluation evaluated the building for landmark listing. It evaluated the landmark eligibility criteria for listing on the California Register and the Sacramento Register. The report did not go so far as to evaluate the potential eligibility of Campus Commons as a historic district. The uh, recommendation by SWCA was that the building was ineligible. The um, appellants retained historic environment consultants, who are also a, his a qualified uh, historic consultant, to prepare a historic evaluation of the building, which also evaluated the building for potential eligibility as a landmark listing on the Sacramento Register and the California Register and they disagreed with SWCA's findings and recommended it as eligible. Neither report evaluated the building as a potential contributing resource to a Campus Commons Historic District. So I evaluated that information along with the letters submitted by members of the community, um, academics, about the building's potential eligibility and the potential for Campus Commons to be eligible as a historic district. And I do not disagree that Campus Commons may be a eligible historic district. I think that the, the cluster development by Callister, particularly the residential portion, the landscaping, the elements of the, of the residential areas may be eligible. It would, it would need more analysis to justify listing, which hasn't occurred, but I would not argue that there, there's no possibility of a potential historic district. But in looking at all the information and looking at the physical condition of the site, it's my professional opinion that the, the commercial areas on the periphery of the district would not be included because they do not contribute to the significance of the district. Callister is a, was a residential uh, design primarily architect. The commercial development on the periphery of the district does not have the same sense of place, does not have the same character-defining features as the residential portion of the district. The, the, it's out of scale for the residential portion of the district. It doesn't maintain the same landscaping features. It's dominated by parking lots, for one thing. Um, 
So the, the guidelines that were referenced for drawing district boundaries, and we rely on federal guidelines. That's pretty standard preservation practice. So when we look at the federal guidelines for drawing district boundaries, they reference properties that are on the periphery of the district that do not directly contribute to the significance of the district. So the potential significance of campus commons, again, in my opinion, without a full formal historic evaluation, in my opinion, the significance of that development is a residential cluster design and landscaping associated with those residential portions of the district, not the larger commercial buildings dominated by parking lots on the periphery of the district. So without being able to draw that direct significance association for those areas being on the periphery, the guidelines tell you to draw your boundaries around those properties so they are outside of the district because they would not be considered contributing resources. So there's both a, there's both a significance in terms of the buildings themselves not being not maintaining the character defining features associated with the district significance as well as the issue of boundaries so those are two separate concepts in the guidelines so not only does it not maintain the character defining features found in the residential cluster design of the potential district but it's also on the edge of the district so those two things combined was the primarily what went into my recommendation that the building should not be considered eligible the as far as the individual eligibility of the of the building itself again i that going through the criteria and both reports um i tend to i i feel that the swca re report has more information has more sufficient analysis and i agree with that report that the building is ineligible for individual listing as a landmark either on our local register or the California register. Thank you for that color. That was that was excellent. Thank you. Um, as a as a follow up question, I, I think the appellant mentioned um, a an appeal process and that there was no appeal process. Could you speak to Can you speak to that? Because I think in the staff report, I think it indicated there is no appeal process. So could you could maybe clarify for us, kind of. Sure. So there's um, the preliminary determination um, if, if the preservation director makes the recommendation that the building is eligible, it would go through a hearing process. And there's, that's spelled out in the code what occurs there. If the building is recommended as ineligible, this is the appeal process. So you as representatives of the city of Sacramento, the lead agency, you have um, discretion to weigh the evidence and the appeal has come to you. And so this is, this is that process. So the it's not that there is no appeal process. You are uh, fully within your right to uh, look at the information in the staff report, look at what I've presented, look at the historic evaluations um, on their own right and come to your own conclusion. Thank you. Um, that's all the questions I have for you. I think the, the final question um, is for Car Kunze. Thank you for your presentation, Car, um, Mr. Kunze. Um, could you maybe just share? I was I was kind of going through the staff report, and it, it seems like what what's being said is 
the community group just wants to deny the development of the project period. Um, but I think you've made reference in your presentation that you're not necessarily opposed to the development, but you're recommending some other form of development on an adjacent parcel. Um, could you maybe share a little bit more like what that means? And then I guess the, the secondary question for planning staff, has, 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 have these comments been exchanged with the developer as well? I'm just trying to understand kind of the course of discussion and kind of really where what, what the community is asking for from the developer and, and what's actually been received. Right, I'll do my best here. If, um, no. Well, in, in, no, we have not had a, a conversation with the developer. I, I think there has been one kind of high-level discussion, but it did not get into the specifics of, for example, the transferability concept, uh, for example, as far as I know. Uh, but that concept is, in other words, you're in a plan unit development. Plan unit developments should be able to move densities around. Uh, but yes, this property has since been divided up from the time that the original plan unit development was put together. But there would be the potential, as, I, as we see it, to, uh, to do a combined planning process. That might involve removing a property line, for example, temporarily, get the shifting done around, enhance the density on the adjacent property, the 350 property, and then uh, uh, re-subdivide the property uh, once both properties have met the other set of requirements, such as preservation, for example, and, and you've accomplished the steps towards that. Does that answer it? Thank you. I, I, with that, I, I yield. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Young. Thank you, Mr. Kinsey. Uh, very insightful questions. Thank you. So next, we will open up the public comment period. Um, let me just check something really quick here. One second. Thank you for your patience. Um, so we are going to move on to the public comment period. I see we have no new e-comments after 5.30 p.m. today. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? I think we have a lot of members of the public who wish to speak on this item. Thank you, Chair. Currently, there are nine speakers for this item. It looks like we could have a few more being turned in right now. Um, please just go ahead and turn them into the staff desk, and you will get a chance. If... <clears throat> Please come over here to the staff desk to fill out a speaker slip if you would like to speak on this item. Thank you. Um, our first speaker will be Gary. Gary, please come up. Uh, yes, thank you for, for uh, hearing us tonight. I'm uh, speaking in opposition to the project, so uh, in favor of the appeal. Um, I live in Campus Commons. My village is kind of in a mid-range of the size. Um, we have 53 units in our village, and that's it's on 10 acres. Um, this is 24 units on one acre, so the density is is not uh, alike. Um, there are, are a number of concerns that, that we have, and one of the things that I'd like to point out is in the design plans that the developer submitted with the uh, garbage cans 
would, would have to be out on the street. They show that, you know, how around the corner, the up to 72 um, uh, receptacles will fit there. Uh, there were no cars parked. And that's just something that's never going to happen. And the way that the parking is set for this development, there are going to be a number of cars parked. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, but the main thing I want to talk about is the design. Um, it is incomprehensible to me that the that this is shown as being as part of and and uh, will fit in with the design of Campus Commons. If you just simply walk around the neighborhood, look at the design, look at the density, and then look at the design plan, yeah, they may be the same materials and the same color, but that is not equivalent. You know, I've got a, a, a dining room table that's made of wood, and so is my house, but you're not going to mistake the two. They're not going to fit in together. So. Um, the design is just not there. Um, the developer, when uh, speaking earlier, uh, mentioned uh, uh, a bit condescendingly, in my opinion, uh, that we were not in favor of change, that we have an anxiety to change. And that is absolutely not true. I've spoken to a number of my neighbors. We're not afraid of change. But we don't want something that is going to stick out like a sore thumb. You know, this, is, this development does not at all in uh, in uh, part and parcel of the design. It doesn't look like anything that, that's around there. It is going to be something that stands out. We're also going to have um, issues that um, our area that we've worked very hard to build and maintain um, is filled with a, not a, a lot of areas for walking, but it's on private property. And there's no amenities in the developer's plans. So we can see that, that residents will be using our areas, which is a liability to us. We have playgrounds for, for kids that we pay for um, and that we maintain that are going to be probably in use by, uh, by residents across the way because there's nothing else around there for it. Um, it seems to me that, that the approval, they said that they, the uh, staff had, um, that it meets all of the criteria. And I'm not willing to uh, agree with that, but I will say that it sounds like perhaps that they're looking at the letter of the law, but not the intent and the spirit of the law. And so I would like the, um, the commission to please consider that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker will be Janet. As a Campus Commons resident, I'm in full support of the design and zoning appeals along with the preservation appeal that was not accepted. Regarding the approval of the tree permit, the proposal removes 25 of the 26 on-site trees, 10 of which are private protected trees. The tree ordinance does not specify the developer, that a developer must be allowed to develop on every portion of a project site. Destruction of such a large percentage of trees appears to be in conflict with the goal of having private protected trees within the city. I ask that the two coast redwood trees be saved, particularly the 90 plus inch redwood tree, which is one of the largest redwood trees in Sacramento. Policy ER 31.3, trees of significant states. The city shall require the retention of city trees and heritage trees by promoting stewardship of such trees and ensuring that the design of development projects provides for the retention of these trees wherever possible. The city responded that the proposed project is consistent with the city goals and policies in that the removal of the private protected trees is necessary to accommodate this proposed development. 
It is not necessary to destroy and remove this volume of trees, as the site can be developed in a manner to retain trees. I have heard on numerous occasions that the city's hands are tied due to HAA, but this is an example of where 24 units could still be built, but with a design to support the retention of the two redwood trees. The tree replacement plan is inadequate with trees planned close to structures, which will not allow for the trees to reach their mature size before they need to be removed. A substantial portion of the existing city-owned planting strip was removed to accommodate the project's new driveway with no regard to the loss of the planting strip to the existing community. Staff states that Public Works is requiring the applicant team to improve and maintain the existing landscaping strips provided as part of the right-of-way frontage and has not requested the applicant team to change the frontage design. However, the planting strip is not being maintained with a portion of the strip being removed. HAA does not prevent the, the city from requiring that the developer amend the plans to add this last por lost portion of the planting strip to another area along the street. A deviation was granted to the rear yard setback from the required 15 feet to 5 feet. The staff report states that the granting of this deviation will not impact the adjacent community. The adjacent homes will absolutely be impacted by these nearby towering structures. There is no tangible need for the city to grant this deviation to the developers. Again, the existing community is not being considered in this decision and the, the city's hands are not tied with this decision by HAA. I ask that the city consider the needs of the adjacent neighbors by enforcing the 15-foot setback standard. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker will be Howard. Thank you, Chairman, Planning Commissioners. I'm Howard Levine. I'm a former Planning Commissioner, 10 years in Grass Valley, City Councilman, Mayor, sat on two general plan committees for Nevada County and uh, ran the downtown for 13 years in a historic district and increased the historic district uh, from five blocks to 15 blocks in downtown Grass Valley. And if you've been up there, you know it. it's a rocking place to be. It's cool. Anyhow, uh, apparently uh, this uh, problem was caused by the 2035 general plan because in 2030, for that general plan, we did not review Campus Commons as a unique and uh, worthy community of historic preservation. From the river to Howe Avenue, from Fair Oaks to the river, that area, contrary to what your historic preservation officer says, is an intact planned unit development that was designed in 1965. Whether we have change or not, it is incumbent upon us as community and representatives of the community to plan for the future. That's what our job is. This is the Planning Commission. In doing so, in the general plan that was not created and looked at in this area specifically and for the 2035 plan, but for the, we should be looking at the 24 2040 general plan to designate this area as a special study area or some kind of overlay because it is unique and specific. It is designed. It has an urban forest. It has an historical element. It is unique in Sacramento. 
It is everything that a planning community wants to have, even if it does have parking lots. It has greater trees in those lots than you'll find in most of Sacramento. This is an important area that needs to be looked at. In doing so, we can also retain and have a, a wonderful place uh, to be proud of. Also, we need to look at the Heritage Tree Ordinance and review that so that it really makes sense, not cut down these trees for development. But if we are doing a development here, we need to change the garbage and find a turnaround, make sure there are setbacks, and we need to um, just provide for a, a considerable integration with the community. This, this property belongs to a developer. I understand that, and they have the right to develop it, but um, it needs to be changed in small degrees to make it work. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Your time is up. Um, our next speaker will be Marianne. Thank you for this opportunity. I live in Campus Commons. I support the design, zoning, and preservation appeals, preservation appeals such as it was. I ask this commission to reject the November 6, 2023 decisions of the directors. It's not possible in a couple of minutes to hit all the sore spots in this development proposal. I'm gonna pull just one from the general plan. The city general plan policy LU 1.1.5 on infill de development states, among other things, that the city shall promote and provide incentives for infill development in existing urbanized areas to enhance community character and ensure integrity of historic districts. The staff report simply states that the project is consistent with this policy, skating right past the fact that the design, density, scale, landscaping, and everything else do the opposite of enhancing the character of the campus commons community. Even a glance at the proposal shows a willful lack of attention to the character of the existing community. The staff report even goes so far as to state that the development will not impact the integrity of any historic districts or result in the loss of a landmark structure. The existing building is the gateway to the plan unit development. The intentional link between the residential and commercial sections of the PUD and an outstanding example, as you've heard, of the work by a notable mid-century architect. This building should be, by any definition, a landmark structure. Further, the destruction of this building does impact the integrity of a historic district. Along the lines of what Howard was discussing, both of the historic resource reports, the one commissioned by the developer, as well as the one that the community supported, agree that the Campus Commons community represents an area forming a potential historic district. The developer's own historic report finds that the 707 Commons building, and I quote, appears to be contributory to a potential Campus Commons historic district. And I have to point out that unlike the commercial buildings on University Avenue, this building is not outside or even on the edge of the residential area. It's surrounded on three sides by Campus Commons community residences, unlike any other commercial buildings in the PUD. 
If the 707 Commons building contributes to a potential historic district, then the destruction of this structure can have the opposite impact. The loss of the building will reduce the integrity of the potential historic district, which can cause the campus commons community to lose its eligibility for this proposed historic district status. I have to add here that we were not allowed to appeal the preservation decision. I think that's worth noting. I also strongly disagree. Thank you for your comments. Your time is up. Thank you. Our next speaker will be David. Good evening, David Lane. I'm a Campus Commons resident, and I was present at the hearings on the directors, and I think they made a fatal mistake that they, in fact, did not comply with state law nor, the, nor, the, nor your rules, because they said at the end of it, both of them, that their, quote, hands were tied by the HAA. The HAA was adopted by Chapter 368 in 2017, Senate Bill 167, and it specifically provides in multiple places, and I'd invite your attention also to the Legislative Council's digest of it, that it applies to very low, low or moderate income housing. That's the only ones to which it applies. It is not a question. It is expressly set forth multiple times. They, these houses that they're putting in have been told, told multiple times that they intend to sell them for $900,000. $900,000 is not, as, as Mr. Uh, Zach claims, uh, entry level, at least in Sacramento, because if you have a $900,000 house, you're looking at a 20% uh, down payment, probably it's $180,000. Most people don't have that on an entry-level position. Further, if you finance the rest of it, you're looking at a payment, a house, monthly house payment for 30 years, in excess of $4,000. This is not entry-level. It is not very low level. It is not low income or moderate income. The HAA does not apply. And the fact that the planning directors say, our hands are tied, therefore they didn't look at the, your actual, actual standards because their hands were tied is false. It is simply not true. The claim that the, that the property is on the periphery of the campus commons is false. It is, on it is surrounded on three sides by campus commons. And we're not trying to say this property can't be developed. This property is owned by the people who represent the developers, they say they own 350 uh, University. And if you look at this property, 707 used to be called 350 University. And it is one development with that. It is the main entry to 707 comes from university. They could put a development here that'd be very nice with appropriate setbacks coming in through University Avenue where they already have it. This property, this development is an abomination and it will be a blight to our community. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Marilyn. I am in support of both the design and zoning appeals. 
I support the designation of the 707 Commons Office Building for Historic Preservation. I am disappointed that the 707 design does not respect the beauty of the existing urban forested neighborhood. It is not dominated by a parking lot. The parking lot is on 350 on the backside of Campus Commons. The plan could scale back some units to allow for wider street-facing landscape, provide room for canopy trees to grow to maturity, and to allow for alleyway trash pickup. To me, the trash pickup design violates City Code Title 13, Section 13.10.100, Placement of Containers, because there is not sufficient space for 72 trash bins to be safely placed three feet apart on Commons Drive and Campus Commons Road. 72 bins placed on the same location where residents and visitors park, bike, and walk will create hazards along these streets. Parked cars will prevent bins from being placed within two feet of the curb. Due to lack of street space along the curb, 707 residents may end up placing their trash bins on the sidewalk. Trash bins on the sidewalk are hazardous to pedestrians. It is unlikely access to all trash bins will be unimpeded. Often after trash, after pickup and on windy days, cans are tipped over. This will create a hazardous situation for cars, cyclists, and pedestrians. In Midtown, residents place trash bins on planting strips. If 707 units were set back enough to allow for planting strips along the Commons Drive and Campus Commons Road, this would be a safe place for trash bins. With the planting strip canopy-sized trees planted in front of the buildings would be harmonious with the Commons Drive tree-lined landscapes. And the alleyways could always be made wider if they had a, separate, a, a different design as well. And just to tell you the truth, when I go for walks, I walk all the time down Commons Road and I, Commons Drive, and I look up and try to imagine this three-story building with a peaked roof that's going to be like right there. Right now, it's a beautiful landscaped, huge, beautiful trees. It's, it's gorgeous. So I appreciate your consideration for this. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Kathy. Thank you for the opportunity to address my concerns. Um, I am um, uh, opposed to the proposal as is, and I uh, support the appeal. My biggest concerns have to do with the density and the design. Um, it was stated earlier that the density could be much greater. However, that is not at all compatible with the existing neighborhood, which is, as has been stated, ranges from maybe 6 to 12 units per acre. That's far different from 24 units per acre. So that in and of itself um, will, will make the, build, the buildings will um, stand out as well as that density it does not allow for the trees that are proposed to have adequate space to grow to maturity or even to develop within the space. There just isn't enough room for the, for the roots, for the plants to survive. So, so it will be very difficult to have a, a thriving landscape in that neighborhood and for it to look good like the pictures show in the, in the development that shows all these wonderful trees, but they aren't going to look like that at all if they even survive very long. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Lyle. Hi, my name is Lyle. I've been 
20-plus year resident at Campus Commons, and I just want to read this, and then I'll, I may make a couple comments. It's painful to see how our beautiful and beloved neighborhood will change in the future and how it will be affected by this new development. How the safety of our children is compromised. This new project will bring down beautiful, perfectly healthy trees, will enhance the traffic. That's the only thing it'll enhance is a lot more traffic and a lot more population. Um, on our roads, we'll expose homeowners to dangers of traffic and overpopulated places. Our campus commons facility that we maintain daily through the HOA uh, and something that we have updated over the last two years, we spent, you know, we've raised a lot of money through an assessment. We've paid a lot of money to have these facilities updated. A lot of them are not gated. We have park, a brand new park that we just built. It cost over $100,000. And um, we don't know how many residents outside of our campus commons are, you know, will be coming. We, you know, we can't police it all the time. It's wear and tear. It's stuff that we pay for. They, they, the new people that would be coming in would be using our area. They'd be walking in our, around our ponds. They'd be walking, I know the streets are owned by the city, but all landscape is what we pay for out of our pocket. And these uh, new owners coming in are not gonna pay anything out of their pocket. They're gonna be using our facility. And that's a major concern for me. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Emily. My name is Emily Smith. I'm in opposition to the design of this project and in support of the appeal. It's unsettling and disheartening that the city is seemingly ignoring the very real concerns of the hundreds of homeowners and community members of Campus Commons in favor of a developer that is pro proposing a fundamentally flawed project that disrupts a landmark neighborhood. This project is a square peg in a round hole. I'm a Sacramento native and was a student at CSUS. I've now lived in Campus Commons for a decade. I'm raising my family in CC. It's where I walk my dogs. It's where my daughter plays on our community playground, funded by neighborhood donations. Um, and a project undertaken by a volunteer neighbor who's here tonight, Lyle. Swims in our community pool and rides her bike through our community green space, all of which we pay for. This was a neighborhood that I always wanted to live in because of its unique character. There's no other neighborhood like Campus Commons in Sacramento or in the greater region, in my opinion. Most people don't even know about Campus Commons. I wonder who on this commission has even visited Campus Commons and walked through our streets and our green space. It's my home and it's where I made the largest investment of my life. We are a close-knit HOA community. Almost all of us know each other here. We have elections, we serve on committees, we volunteer, we pay HOA dues to keep our community fresh and true to its character and maintain its assets and amenities, amenities that are property of Campus Commons. I still have deep reservations about how this project plans for the fact that it's being built inside an established HOA community. The project as it is designed today threatens the unique historic character of my neighborhood. The city is allowing this project to infiltrate our insulated community that is Campus Commons, disrupting the homeowners that have lived in CC for decades. The spokesperson for the developer so eloquently and articulated, really stuck with me, at the last hearing said that we quote, 
can't have our cake and eat it too. Well, we never ordered what they're selling. We like it the way it is. I hope the city will decide to acknowledge our taxpaying voices and not move forward with this flawed project as it stands today. And the existing building in question is not on the periphery. It's surrounded by campus commons on three sides, and it's not dominated by parking lots. In fact, the proposed project creates a new parking lot by, a building, by building a new driveway where none currently exists. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Mr. Hickox. Hello, hi, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm new to Sacramento. So I spent a half a day at UC Berkeley at the Warren, Charles Warren Callister archives. And so I actually disagree with Sean Corsi that the 707 is on the periphery. It's not. And also Callister was involved with designing, Sean, the, a lot of the office buildings around, across the street from 350 all the way up to UV. In fact, he even uh, designed one of the, the gas stations. So, and I have photos here that show the setback. It's consistent. If you go walk down university, you'll see uh, from how even up above how you'll see that there's all the office buildings adhere to like a 35 foot limit, uh, two stories. They all have 35 to 40 foot setbacks, beautiful trees. And I have taken the time to take pictures and print out these color photos of 425 University, which is across the street from uh, 350 University. So, and I also have printed out color copies of my latest updated um, comments, so I'll leave them with you. So, the um, just wanted to mention that you have to think about it in terms of worldwide, international. Campus Commons is the Rossmore of Sacramento. It, but however, it is an open, diverse community. 707 Commons Drive is the office building version of Crocker House. So, for people to be uh, giving money to the Crocker House Museum and then wiping this out is really an abomination. Look to London. If you go to the, the Bloomberg headquarters, you will see the most incredible network of intertwined root systems. There's three trees that are encased, and they have a lovely, uh, I call them the three sisters, and I've nicknamed them in these photos. So I have a minute left. Um, if you demolish this, it'll be lost for future generations. This is not affordable housing. There's a lot of pressure for all of you to do for affordable housing and increase density. I get that. But you could reconvert this into studios, apartments for work, live. And um, look at two scripts up just up the street, right off of, of, off of um, university. That's got high density. That works perfectly. It's across the street from the UV shopping center. And by the way, the redwood tree is not 90 inches. Somebody measured it, and it is 180 degrees around because there's two trees in one. It's really unique. It's probably the largest redwood tree in Sacramento, but I don't know that. But I want to thank each and every one of you for reconsideration. Thank you for holding this hearing. Thank you, for uh, Mr. Young, for asking the questions. Thank you to the uh, developers. I know they made a huge investment, and they've been putting out these. I have to thank, stop. Thank you for your comments.
So thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker will be Naomi. Thank you for the chance to talk tonight. I didn't come as fully prepared as I was like because I was uh, riding my bike and I got the information. Rode down here from near Campus Commons. I'm so glad to be here tonight. Um, I don't live in Campus Commons. I live down the street, but I go by there all the time. I drive by there all the time, 707, so I know exactly what my neighbors are talking about. And um, it is a beautiful place. Um, I would ask uh, that each of you please go to the site and see for yourself the marvelous trees that would be cut if this project is not denied. Um, I cannot understand why a, a project, a housing project could not incorporate uh, this, this amazing um, historical building along with, as some neighbors have suggested, um, if there's some opportunity in other areas nearby for some housing, but to make it align with the current density that exists in Campus Commons. I completely agree with my neighbors, even though I don't live there, um, how much it would stand yeah. out from the current structures that are in Campus Commons. They're not saying that, they're, uh, that they don't want um, development, but they want it to align with what's there, preserving the amazing planning that happened back in the 1960s that we need to continue planning for the future generations of Sacramentans to enjoy the trees. These cannot be regrown in a lifetime. I mean, I don't know how long it's taken these trees to, to grow. Um, so what about this idea that we working together, um, the developers, that they can uh, get the housing, some housing, but maybe not the density that they want because it's gonna destroy some trees. Some, I mean, a lot of trees and historical neighborhood. So what about an idea that the current, um, the current uh, structure there at 707, maybe it could be used as a, as a, um, uh, like a clubhouse. I mean, how how amazing how we can take, you know, an idea and actually with creative thinking, with working together, meeting the needs of the current community. That there's thousands of residents, some that couldn't be here tonight for probably many reasons. We're speaking on behalf of them, and not just them, but the people who live in the area, too. I'm one of them. Um, so to, to come up with a solution that these trees can be preserved, the building can preser be preserved, and housing can still occur, you know, building some housing, but in a way that's going to align with the density and, and the setbacks and, and the, the tree canopy and adding more trees instead of taking out trees. So... I just am thankful for the opportunity to share and to support my neighbors and, um, you know, thank you so much. I had much more to share, but uh, that's the best I could do. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our last speaker is Enderjit. I'm really nervous because these are my prepared remarks, but I can't do them because I have to respond a little bit to something that was said earlier. And I just drew this now, and I don't know if you can see it, but this is University Avenue, primarily commercial. This is Commons Drive. All this dark part is where houses are. This is the subject property right here. Yeah. Okay. And what 
Can we interrupt you for just one second? We would be able to see that if you put it on the projector screen right there. So we'll give you back your time. If like that? Face up. Um, face up. Flip it over the other way. Okay. Oh my God. And then maybe. And then really can you rotate it? Can you rotate yeah. it? There we go. Okay. 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 Wow. We'll this is over. awesome. Okay. I lost time. Um, this is university, primarily commercial. This is Commons Drive. Uh, very residential. This is houses, campus commons houses. Here houses, here houses, here houses, subject property. Before, I did not know about the HAA until 10 days before the staff report came out on November 6th. Before the staff report came out and I knew about HAA, I didn't want this to change from what Campus Commons look like. I didn't want this to change. I read the HAA. I understand the need for housing. So I don't mind dense housing over here. If I was a developer for years, like, like they are, I would have known about the HAA. And I would have thought, wow, this property here is terrific. It's 350 University, and it's terrific because there's a huge parking lot. But the problem with developing here is the owner of 707 has part of this parking lot and an easement. And the way to develop this whole parcel is to buy 707 so you can get the parking parcel. That leaves the building parcel, and what can you do with an office building that doesn't have parking? And I think the only thing you can do is develop it. But what the reason I'm changing things is Sean said something that made me think that there was a, a problem in his analysis, and the, the problem is that this should be part of a historic district. And the reason why is if you come out there to Campus Commons, you will see what a lovely building this is and how there are common design elements between here and here throughout this whole area. There's no way this, pros, pro, this pro, parcel should be excluded from a historic district. The, the, the developer's um, um, consultant there was one paragraph that made me think, I think that they would like to see us try to get this to be a historic district and to preserve this building as a part of it. That's just a sense I got, and I'm starting to lose time. But, but Sean um, thought that this shouldn't be, and he said something in his comments about this being there being a lot of parking here, and there is no parking here. The, par the parking is here. This parcel could belong in a historic district, and the only reason we didn't get money, raise the money to get a historic district was because of the cost. We put it toward legal, and that was a mistake, Thank but you. we didn't know about the HAA. Thank you. Thank you. And ma'am, can we get a copy of the map uh, to our staff right here, please? Thank you. Chair, there's no other speakers for this item. Thank you very much. Uh, and so with that, we'll close the public comment period. Thank you all for being here today. Standard practice allows for the applicant um, to uh, rebuke if she would like. So I'll ask Catherine if she wants to take that time to make any final remarks. 
Yes, thank you. Just a couple notes um, to clarify a few things. We heard a lot tonight about a historic district. Um, it's my understanding that Campus Commons is not designated a historic district and no application has been filed for it to become one in any capacity. Um, and perhaps staff can add to that if necessary, but um, it's also my understanding that when an application comes forward for design review or development, what needs to be um, reviewed is how the property stands today. And that means it's not part of a historic district or um, could be included in one. Um, secondly, there was a lot of discussion about the scale and character of our proposal. I'd like to point out that directly across the street on Campus Commons Road, um, there are two and three-story buildings, three and four, four fourplex buildings. To access the buildings, they're on quite a large berm. You have to take about 16 steps, which is about 10 feet, just to access the um, first floor of the building. So that would put the scale of those structures about the same scale as what we were proposing today. Those buildings also directly abut um, commercial office properties, as we are proposing our new development to abut um, office property in the back. Um, the HOA facilities remain a concern with certain residents that our um, future residents will somehow trespass and use their facilities. Um, we tried to combat this concern by offering um, our residents to pay into their reserves or their facilities, and that was denied. So outside of that, I'm not sure what we can do to help combat those concerns. Um, affordable housing also remained a concern, but I'd like to point out that all housing is needed across Sacramento, and through the construction of new housing, it frees up people moving up into different homes and freeing up those existing homes for new residents as well. Um, lastly, a lot of concern over density. Again, would like to point out that we are complying with the city approved and general plan approved density on this site. And um, that was part of the reasons why we're coming forward with the site plan that we're coming forward with. Um, we have our own restrictions. We, as the developer, are not proposing the density. We are complying with what is on the property. So thank you again for your time. Thank you very much, Catherine. We'll bring the discussion back to the dais. So commissioners, um, any additional questions for staff? Now would be the time to make comments. Um, also, uh, now that, that we've heard the presentations and public comment, uh, this would be the appropriate time for any motions. Commissioner Zhang. Um, yes, I had a question regarding the concerns with the um, trash receptacles. Um, so in the in the diagram, kind of like one of the speakers was, was mentioning, it's assuming that there's no parked cars on the road. Should this uh, project move forward, are there any, um, any like parking restrictions that might be put into play at least for a trash pickup day or something like that to kind of alleviate that concern?
So staff, <clears throat> staff's not aware of um, any conditions of approval or requirements to look at the parking on the roadways. However, Solid Waste did um, place conditions of approval on the project. One of them is basically um, during the building permit stages, looking at the trash pickup, they have to provide a narrative of the operation. It's reviewed at that point, um, and maybe at that time, a later point, there could be further discussions on it. I do have a couple of other questions. Um, so the, um, the applicant actually answered one of my questions, which was if there would be an opportunity for the new um, residents to pay into the HO and become part of that, again, should this project move forward. Um, so it, it sounds like there's, there was no interest in that. Um, maybe that might change if, if things go um, differently here. Um, and then there was also talk about possibly developing on the adjacent parts adjacent parcel, is that also owned by the same owner, the, the applicant? No, it's a different ownership group. 350 University is owned by a separate partnership with separate individuals involved. Um, it's also my understanding that the city doesn't have a mechanism for transferable development rights. And lastly, 350 University is a fully leased building with um, the parking lot and the building fully accounted for. And then my last question is actually for you as well, ma'am. Um, were there any other alternative uses that were considered for the um, for 707? We looked into rehabbing the existing building, and as I mentioned, it was infeasible. Um, it was infeasible for a number of reasons. There's quite a bit of deferred maintenance on the building from the time that we purchased it. It is not ADA compliant for an office building. Um, the way the um, windows and the design of the building make it very, very difficult to convert it to residential as well. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I yield. Thank you very much, Commissioner Zhang. Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, my question is for uh, the Preservation Director. Thank you. Um, you mentioned in your remarks earlier that there could be an opportunity at a later date for the community to apply and be historically designated. Um, and some of the folks in the audience expressed a concern that if this project moves forward, that somehow hinders the ability of the residential community to get that designation. Can you speak to that? Sure. So the process for becoming a historic district would start with that analysis that I mentioned. We call, we, some call it a historic resources survey um, of the campus commons community that would establish boundaries and contributing resources and uh, a significant statement for the, for the district. That's a large undertaking for a big area like this. Um, but the, there's several ways to achieve that st study. And as I mentioned, the, uh, I don't disagree that there, there is potential for a historic district uh, in this area. But the, uh, so the city funds, often funds those studies through grants. That's one way. We're a certified local government. There's certified local government grants through the state, passed through for, from the federal government. Um, we can also apply for other, for other grants. Nonprofits like Preservation Sacramento often sponsor those studies on their own or in a partnership um, such as the Mid-Century Modern Historic Context and Survey uh, document that um, actually references Campus Commons as a potential historic district. That, um, that document was sponsored by 
Sacramento Modern in partnership with a grant, um, so they provided matching funds. Um, the community themselves could retain a historic consultant to prepare that study. Um, that the, the process for actually nominating it has to come either from preservation director, to preservation commission, or the city council. So there's no, uh, you've, I believe you've heard the term, you know, application, no application has been submitted. That's not actually how nominations uh, work. They either start with uh, myself making a recommendation, the preservation commissioner, city council uh, making a recommendation. Uh, but that could happen if it's submitted to us, we could, we could look at it. Um, and if the city concurs with the findings, we, uh, we would take it through the nomination process. We're doing it right now with uh, Southland Park Hills, potential historic district. And I'm sorry if it wasn't clear before. My question is really about if this project moves forward, would do anything to make that process unattainable for the community? No, not in my opinion. I mean, in my in my opinion, in my analysis, this building would not be a contributing resource to that district. Um, you saw the map. You know, the maybe it's maybe it's something about the, the semantics of the term periphery. But to me, if one side is commercial and not not surrounded by the resources than it is on the periphery. Historic district boundaries often zigzag. They're not straight lines, they're not circles. They, they go back and forth, parcel by parcel, property by property. You look at any of our historic districts that exist today, you are not gonna see straight lines. So the references to the uh, building being or not being on the periphery, um, in my opinion, you would draw that line around that property and exclude it because it doesn't have the character defining features of the rest of the residential development. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, my next question is around um, the community's access to the resources within the, um, the HOA. Are there, are there things on the table that the HOA could do to mitigate access? I don't know, gates or, I mean, is there some optionality there as, as they contend with this? Good evening, Commissioners. Carlo Felix, Senior Planner with Community Development. The HOA has not approached myself or staff about uh, potential ways to limit access to their to their own facilities. Um, that would likely require site plan design review as it would be a change to the site. However, I would like to note that we do have design guidelines um, that relate to um, fortifying or uh, blocking access to properties in the way that relates to the public realm. So I think that would be a consideration that would have to be um, considered as part of any future proposal. Great, thank you. Um, I think that's all my questions. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Commissioners, any additional questions or comments or motions at this point? Commissioner Young. Yeah, uh, just a quick question on, um, I know there were multiple references to the Housing Accountability Act. Um, could, could maybe the planning staff kind of share, share with public, like kind of what is the Housing Accountability Act? And then also um, what, what how was this applied in, in, in this situation? Or was it even applied um, in this situation? I'm going to attempt to answer the question. So the Housing Accountability Act was part of a series of acts passed by uh, the state um, to 
to assist with our housing crisis. Um, some of the provisions that may have been referenced uh, by the community and by staff pertain to denying a project or modifying it in such a way that it becomes infeasible. Um, there are limitations and there are certain findings that the commission would have to make in order to be able to, to do that. In this particular case, um, during the director hearing, we may have overstated the ability to use the HAA. Um, however, I think staff's position and intent was to, to, to provide the directors with information stating that the modifications that we are aware that the community has been requesting would potentially lower it to a density below the general plans minimum or would alter the project in such a way that it may no longer be feasible for the developer to pursue. And perhaps I'll leave it there and, and see if there's any clarification that may be needed. Thank you. Um, I, I think, and I'm just gonna leave this as sort of an open comment. I would, we have two planning commissioners with, with extensive design backgrounds and I would love to kind of hear their opinions on just kind of, I mean, assertions are being made about how the proposed design is inharmonious with um, the, the existing community and, but I have also read in the staff report that um, efforts have been made by the developer to, to accommodate the community's um, requests for, for changes. So I'd, I'd love to hear from, from our design commissioners. You can join the queue. And if I'll you yield. Go ahead. We can segue into that. I can. Go ahead. Great. Okay. We'll move on to uh, who wants to go first? I'll let design team go and then I'll. This is a, more of a question. Was there an effort to maintain more of a buffer to be more in line with the design of the community? I do know the community very well. Is it infeasible to have more of a buffer from the street? You know, I may, we may want to defer to the applicant. The original, the initial submittal to city staff had the structures much closer to the street. As part of the community comments that they did receive, I know that they had pushed the buildings back to be more in line with what's out there. The ability, I'd be supposing a lot of other things, um, other changes that would have to occur to the site to be able to accommodate an additional setback. Um, but I'm not too sure if the applicant team has any more feedback for you at this time. One thing I also would <clears throat> add is that I think that when you look at the project, we have to look at not only what the existing zoning is of the site itself, but what's the zoning and general plan designation of the areas adjacent that they're referencing. And the areas that they're referencing are in the R1 zone. So you have a 20-foot setback requirement. This is in the OB zone. It has a zero setback requirement on the street-facing sites. So I think that that's just a consideration of, you know, there you wouldn't be necessarily, you know, maybe they would do the 20 feet, but it's not a requirement upon them. Yeah, hi, thanks for your question. Um, our initial site layout and design did reflect setbacks between zero and five feet, and we modified that upwards to 15 feet um, to the best of our ability to combat the neighbor concerns. We felt that we could not go any further for a few reasons. We have to have a 20-foot drive aisle between the buildings for 
numerous reasons, mainly public safety and fire. And um, we did have a reduction of units in the setback changes that we made and ended up with 24. At, at one point, we were closer to 30. Um, and just knowing that we were dealing with the density constraints of 18 being the minimum, we're kind of getting close to that. And with a fourplex building, you know, loss of a building, you're, you're having some significant impacts and infeasibility to the site. Um, so we did try to mitigate their concerns with, I mean, 15 to 20 from going to zero, <laughs> um, we felt was a pretty good um, mitigation. Do you want me to go sure. since we're paired? <laughs> um, I have definitely heard a lot of comments about the alignment with the design intent with the existing community and looking at the proposed plans. I do see a definite difference in between how the existing community is and what the proposed design does, but different doesn't necessarily mean incongruent. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, I. The statement, there was a statement earlier about campus commons and not knowing it. it. It's a very notable neighborhood. I have never lived there, but I absolutely know what it represents um, and what it is to this city. So it is a, a, a remarkable neighborhood that has a very strong impact, but also in that um, it becomes a little bit uh, in insisting that 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 created aesthetic that happened in the 60s maintains consistently all the way across might create some exclusivity into this area that is such a high desirable neighborhood to be in. The proposed design, although it is very different than what you guys have, does have a lot of uh, elements that align with it. And I feel that the location that it's shown is not interior to your neighborhood, it is actually at the beginning. So there's some space there where it allows a transition in between the two areas to work. Thank you, Commissioner Andrade and Commissioner Thompson. Um, we'll next go to Commissioner Macias-Reed. Thank you, Chair. Um, Thank you to everyone who came out here and spoke this evening. Um, we haven't had this big of a turnout for quite some years, um, so it's 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 nice to have it. Um, so I wanted to sort of start with um, I have more comments rather than than questions, um, and just want to be clear that. You know, as we're making these decisions, um, there's one topic of strong conversation here this evening, which is, you know, a proposal to move forward with some type of designation um, for historic preservation for this community. And um, just, you know, side note for everyone who's here, for those of you who live here, I am very familiar and have walked that neighborhood many, many times. I think a lot of us are very familiar with the neighborhood because of its significance. Um, so I wanted to just, and, and if staff can, you know, sort of uh, follow up on my comment, just to have clarity when we're making decisions here this evening, um, that this isn't, we cannot make any determination tonight based on this being a historic 
you know, a preservation community because it is not currently deemed one. So we just want to have clarity for all of us here tonight. That is correct. This property is not listed on the Sacramento Register. It is not listed on the California Register, and there are no uh, current initiatives that I am aware of that are listing it so, or the district. So that, thank you. So that'll have no bearing um, this evening. Um, so I did want to express a concern because I, I live in an HOA here in Sacramento, and I will tell all of you here this evening, I pay a lot of money, not only for my HOA, but for Melarus and other, I mean, the Melarus in this, my community that I live in, you guys would be shocked if you saw my property bill. You could look it up online. But, um, you know, we, we pay a lot. And I feel that, you know, as someone who lives in an HOA, I feel it. Um, and I understand that that also ha brings a sense of pride to your community, right? Because you're like, I'm paying for these lights and I'm paying for the maintenance of the, you know, the sidewalks that, you know, people who don't live in my community use. I mean, I live in Crocker Village, right? And we're right next to a very historic, very well-known community of Curtis Park. And we, Curtis Park residents walk down my street all the time and I've been, you know, so graciously meeting them and talking with them and they've been welcoming to our community or to their community. Um, and, you know, we have a park that's being built right now for my children because I have young children to play in. And, um, but we also go to Curtis Park all the time. Um, because it's a beautiful location. And I just felt like some of the comments this evening were very exclusionary and it was very concerning because um, I think there, I could understand the misconception of, listen, we pay for this and we pay a lot of money for that and it's ownership and pride. But I also feel like there's something to be said for welcoming new people into your community. Um, and I think we really need to be able to recognize that because I was welcomed into the Curtis Park community who has been there for a very long time and I've lived in Sacramento for a very long time and, and now have been able to afford to live in that community um, and people have been very gracious. So I just want to also express my concern for some of those comments this evening. Um, I... I I also want to mention, I know we're not discussing historic preservation and the determination we're making this evening, but I do think it's important to note that the developer who's proposing the project tonight has historically preserved, and they mentioned this earlier, a ton of projects in Sacramento, which to my understanding is incredibly difficult, time-consuming, and expensive to do. Um, so I think and know that if this building were to be salvaged, I think they would probably be the ones to, to do it and to, to do a really good job. Um, but um, it also, when I was looking at the report here, had made mention you know, of this building having you know, additions to it, such as significant additions to it that you know, um, have changed the fabric of the building itself, including um, the addition of skylights that were not historically and there when it was first built um, and and that can have a significant uh, change to the fabric of that building that existing building in the field um, so I just you know those are really just my comments I think for this evening um, this is a very challenging decision um, you know, it's it's a community I'm familiar with, but it's not my community. And I think for all of us, for the decisions that we make up here, it's not easy. Um, so I just want to express that. Um, and I kind of want to hear 
from some of my other commissioners because I think, you know, even for me who has been on the commission for quite some time, I think it's really a challenging decision to make this evening. Um, and I just really want to express that and, and hope that we have some other commissioners tonight who, who want to express some of their, their feelings and concerns on this. Thank you, Commissioner Macias-Reed. Commissioner Chase. Uh, am I unmuted? Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, I have some comments, and actually I want to add to the design comments that my uh, architect colleagues across the way uh, had made. Um, first of all, I want to really thank and acknowledge all of the residents that have come out uh, to speak over this project. I know Campus Commons very well. Uh, we are friends there. We almost bought a house. We were in escrow. Somebody beat the price on it. Um, but we, we know it. It's an absolutely beautiful community, and I suspect it will be deserving of uh, you know, a, a historic status at some point. Um, it's such a way, in fact, my colleague, uh, Commissioner Thompson, works for a firm called Drivers and Blackford. Uh, they designed the Nepenthe portion, all of the units in there. And in fact, from the time that was built, one of the partners, I forget which one it was, lived there. So, you know, for what, 30, he just died, I think about five or six years back. Um, so it is, it, you know, it's, a, it's essentially an award-winning um, uh, community, and it is absolutely beautiful. Uh, we love it there. Um, as far as the design comments on the buildings and, and there, you know, if, if the new buildings were placed next to one of your pool areas, you know, centrally in there, I, I think I would have some, some real concerns in terms of it. Uh, the fact that they're on the periphery uh, feels much more comfortable. I, I go back to the um, Secretary of uh, Interior Standards that, in fact, if you were adding uh, to a, a historic building, uh, a new addition to it, uh, the, the, um, uh, <clears throat> the standards specifically state not to duplicate uh, the old building, the historic building. Respect it, but do not duplicate it. Uh, and there are different ways to do that. Uh, and I think we've seen that there, use of materials, similar materials, uh, colors, and again, we know colors are pretty much controlled throughout Canvas Commons, uh, and the scale as well, and, and I think somebody did mention the fact that directly across the street on uh, Commons are the three, we looked at some of those years ago, three-story units, the basement, there's a garage, there's a room down there, and then you have two stories above that, so very similar in terms of scale, I think, uh, so I don't see a, a, an, an issue there. Um, again, it's, I would agree with my, uh, Commissioner's comment that it's a challenging decision, and it really is. This is probably, I think the comments that I heard tonight are some of the most insightful that we've heard. You know, oftentimes we just get a lot of ranting, understandably, people who are upset. These were, I think, very, very insightful uh, and excellent comments on a wonderful community, uh, making our decision all the more difficult. Um, I think the thing that, that threw me or that helped convince me um, and I hate to give credit to the, to the last speaker, but the diagram that we saw that was submitted uh, pretty clearly indicates, interesting when we look at that, that if you carry that one site that's being proposed here, uh, actually provides continuity of residential all the way along um, that the, the northern, whatever it be, the northeaster, northwesterly edge of um, uh, Commons Drive. So it does make, from that standpoint, that diagram, I think, made it pretty obvious that that is a, a, an appropriate use for that piece of property. And then the, the layer out, going out from there, is maintains is the office buildings that, that it is right now and, and maybe should be kept forever. 
So I, I think it was interesting that that diagram really kind of helped point out that it does make a lot of sense for the residential to be there. Um, I think I know it hurts to always have something new, you know, plunked down next to a community, particularly a community that's so noted uh, as Canvas Commons is. Uh, but with that, I think um, I would, uh, I, again, with a lot of hesitancy, but I do feel I, I'd like to uh, propose a denial of the appeal uh, tonight. So thank you, Madam Chair. Sounds like we have a motion to deny the appeal and uh, approve the requested entitlements. We have additional comments and questions from our commissioners. Um, thank you, Commissioner Chase. Uh, next, we have Commissioner Caden. Thank you, Chair, and um, thanks for all the great comments from the dais this evening, as well as um, everybody who came out to speak tonight. I really appreciate you being here and, and uh, making your voice heard. Um, you know, while we as a commission frequently um, will have these sort of discretionary decisions on projects that exceed allowed development standards, um, density, high FAR, um, then we'll have sort of a conversation around the extent to which those projects are, um, you know, consistent with the goals and policies of the general plan. Um, this really doesn't strike me as one of those cases. This is a, a use and a, a density that's um, within the allowed standards. Um, very much understand the the concerns about density, but I um, I don't really see it as our role to kind of retroactively say that a 22 unit per acre project on a site that allows six units an acre um, in the general plan is is too dense or out of scale. I mean, I think that decision was um, essentially already made in our 2035 general plan. So this seems like a great project to me. It's going to deliver. Um, attached housing at a moderate density in, in a very high opportunity neighborhood. That's a fantastic place to live. Um, it's uh, a good thing, I think, to have a variety of densities in a neighborhood, and this, this really does uh, deliver that for me. Um, I have to say that the most compelling, I think, of the arguments for me in the appeal was the removal of the, the mature protected trees, um, and in particular, those, those coastal redwoods that are, you know, um, as mentioned, some of the largest in the city. Um, while you can't really replace a resource like that, I am happy to see that um, new trees will be planted and there are some, you know, several other large redwoods on the same block in Campus Commons and across the community um, that will remain. So, you know, the trees are definitely a loss, but it is our job to kind of weigh the trade-offs here. And uh, because this project is in line with the existing general plan designation, um, you know, combined with the fact that I think approving projects like this is the right thing to do. And that building more attached housing, again, in high opportunity neighborhoods during a housing crisis is somewhat of a moral obligation and, and very much in line with um, some of the goals of our city. So uh, given that, I'm happy to support the staff recommendation, or I guess second the motion. Thank you, Commissioner Caden, for your comments. So we have a motion by Commissioner Chase and a second by Commissioner Caden to deny the appeals and approve the entitlements. Um, next, we will go to Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, I was able to visit um, the site today and got to speak to some of the folks who came here tonight. Uh, thanks for being so welcoming and sharing um, your points of view with, with me. And I actually brought my 12-year-old uh, son because he was home uh, sick today from school. So I thought it would be a good field trip for him. Um, and I think uh, when I went out there, I really wanted to see sort of what the impact would be on the trees. And um, 
you know, I think I think the community's right in terms of those trees, you know, appear healthy, they're beautiful, it doesn't look like they're coming down anytime soon, particularly the larger redwood. And I think it is a, a big loss for the community to lose a tree like that um, and the other trees. Um, and I think of all the arguments I heard tonight, um, I think I was most compelled by that. And I think in hearing the discussion, I didn't hear any really clear mitigations to that problem. Um, and still achieve housing on the site. And so um, I think because of that, I'm inclined to uh, also deny the appeal um, because you know the need for housing is just so great in our community. Um, and if we had another pathway um, to protect the trees and it wasn't made clearer, um, I think I might go another way. But um, you know, going there with my son today and uh, thinking about his chances of finding housing in Sacramento, my other two sons, and, and all of our children being able to stay in this community, we're going to have to build more housing. And there are going to be some trade-offs that come with that. And I know it's very difficult. Um, you do have a lovely community. I really appreciate you all um, and, and uh, what you um, offered to us tonight. Um, but that's, uh, that's where I land on that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. We'll go back to Commissioner Macias-Reed. Sorry, Chair. Actually, I was, if I'm going to agree with the comments from the prior commissioners. We can go ahead and uh, call the vote. Thank you. I see no additional speakers in the queue. Doing one final round. Um, I do just want to make a few comments. Um, I just want to thank you for all the commitment um, from the community on it's clear that you care about where you live and you care about each other and it means a lot for us to see your faces here and hearing your voices. I also agree that Campus Commons, um, it's a beautiful and uh, unique area um, and it absolutely merits a special designation. You've heard from folks here today that there is a separate process for that um, that can be initiated through the commission, through the director of preservation or through your city council members. So I highly encourage you um, to, to continue continue your efforts in that in that manner as well. Um, uh, it sounds like um, there has been a, a, a long time between uh, all the stakeholders here today working towards a, a collaborative process and trying to build a consensus on this issue. Um, we may not be there today, but we feel like this is a fantastic um, opportunity to hear from all sides and see how far we've come. Uh, I appreciate all of the thoughtful questions from the commissioners and all of the uh, thoughtful comments from the community because you all are all the ones that live there um, and see and breathe uh, the air there every day. So um, to me, it adds a lot more context and color um, to the decision that's gonna be made here today. Um, so again, thank you for your commitment. Um, we do have a motion and a second on the, on the table here today. So we will call the, uh, call the roll for a vote. Clerk, whenever you're ready. Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Andrade? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Can I just clarify, please? Are, in voting aye, are we supporting the staff's denial? The motion is to deny the appeals by voting aye. You are moving the project forward. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Macias-Reed? Aye. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. 
Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you. Um, I just want to uh, make one final comment on this issue as an informational, uh, for informational purposes for the community. Um, so the site plan and design review is final based on today's decision. However, if you are unsatisfied with today's vote, um, you can continue to appeal based on the tentative map, um, and the city attorney can confirm and keep me honest over here um, about uh, that process. Um, so if, if that is your desired um, uh, uh, position at this moment, um, please follow up with staff before the January 22nd deadline. Thank you so much for being here tonight and for everyone who's involved. Thank you for staff and the, and the applicant um, for all your time and effort on this. So that is um, uh, the vote for tonight. Um, it'll, it'll move forward. So for the remainder of the meeting today, we'll move on to the discussion calendar. We are now on item number five. This is selection of the chair and vice chair for calendar year 2024. Commissioners, I have had the most fun serving as vice chair and chair. Um, uh, vice chair with Commissioner Macias Reed and chair with Commissioner Wallace. Um, I have appreciated the confidence that you've all provided and the feedback over the last uh, several years. Um, the Planning Commission has historically be, been very fair and egalitarian about these leadership roles and everyone will, will at some point get a chance to, to hold the gavel. But if you ever want me to serve again, I'll be very happy to. So um, with, with that, I'd like to see um, we can do one motion or two motions for a, uh, for a slate of candidates. Um, so I'm open to anybody uh, making that motion. Commissioner Macias-Reed. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I, yes, had the honor and pleasure of serving as your chair and her as um, Chair Hernandez as the vice chair, and um, I, I, you've done an amazing job. You really hold the bar really high. Um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate, I think one of the things that I would always love to support is just, you know, holding a, a tight meeting, keeping everyone, you know, going on schedule, um, and, and I appreciate that. So thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, we do have a vice chair, Wallace, who has been serving this year as our vice chair. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, want to throw out there that I just think it makes sense to promote you to the chair position and the chair role and give you that opportunity. Um, so my motion this evening is going to be to um, ask Commissioner, or excuse me, Vice Chair Wallace to... Um, be nominated chair um, and obviously when we're thinking about vice chair it was hey you know who, who's been on the commission for quite some time who's made me looking to take that next step um, and um, Commissioner Young I appreciate your questions every single time on the commission uh, I appreciate your leadership and I would love to nominate you as vice chair that's a motion we have a motion by Commissioner Macias Reed to nominate uh, Vice Chair Wallace as chair and to nominate uh, Commissioner Young as vice chair. I'm looking for a second, so I'll look over here to Commissioner Zhang. I would like to second that motion. Thank you. We have a motion to second. Seeing no other speakers in the queue, clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Andrade? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Macias Reed? Aye. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. 
Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Um, so we'll now move on to Commissioner Ideas, excuse me, Commissioner Comments, Ideas, and Questions. I would like to also congratulate and welcome Commissioner Robert Blunt. Um, so if you wouldn't mind turning on um, your mic, and uh, we'd love to get to know you, and please provide an introduction for, of yourself. Hi, um, I just wanted to say it's a, an incredible honor to, to be here uh, as, as a member of this, this commission. Um, it's a, I've been working uh, for a long time in uh, public service. And uh, to, to extend this, uh, you know, my public service uh, career in this form and fashion is something that I'd never really imagined. And it's a, incredible. Um, so I'm just sort of over the moon about it. Um, and I'm just really overwhelmed by um, your, you know, the professionalism of this this uh, commission. And um, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, working with each of you. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, I, I am a member of uh, Local 9109, the Drywall Latherers. Um, I, uh, I, I work as an, uh, within the organizing department of the NorCal Carpenters. Um, I do have a steadfast commitment to working families. Um, I am uh, incredibly passionate about uh, ensuring that um, we have responsible growth here in Sacramento, um, particularly around, um, you know, working family issues and making sure that um, we we prevent crime scenes at um, uh, construction sites, uh, but also ensure that um, you know housing is affordable and living is affordable in the city because it's it's what we're it's what we're made of and it's what's important. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> enough of that. Uh, thank you so much, and I'm really really looking forward to being here with you all. Thank you. Well, welcome. Thank you very much, commissioners. Any other questions, ideas you would like to raise tonight? Hearing and seeing none, thank you everybody. Uh, we'll move on to public comments, matters not on the agenda. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. Yes, there are two speakers with um, that would like to speak for this item. Our first speaker will be Howard. Chair, commissioners, I, I wanna thank you for your presence here uh, representing our city. I know that it is a difficult job and one that uh, is very important to the community. Um, as you know in my previous comments, I am very concerned about the general plan and how it moves forward and how every neighborhood is important and doesn't get overlooked. Um, and I know the hearing is coming forth, maybe possibly at your next meeting. Uh, I'll be here. Um, I, I have been involved in historic preservation as a resident of Grass Valley. I moved here two and a half years ago. I've worked on buildings uh, personally uh, that uh, from 1854, the Holbrook Hotel I owned. Um, 1867, the Swan Levine House, which I owned. 1856, the Quick Building, which I owned, refurbishing all of these, besides being downtown. And I've worked on a Julia Morgan Building in 1905. That's still being refurbished in Grass Valley. Historical preservation is a very important part of my life. 
Sacramento has always been an important part of my life for livelihood as well as for friends. In planning, I've been involved here since the 70s or 80s with Silka and Echoes. Not, not a lot, but some. Um, so when I look forward to uh, being involved in dis hearing your discussions on the general plan, I am, of course, looking um, for the community that we spoke about earlier on the agenda. And given that um, the, the FAR is such an important part in the office professional, uh, otherwise referred to as commercial area, and the impact, I see it as a part of the general plan and how to designate that area immediately, not through a long-term historical study or so forth, uh, to allow for preservation in some way in that area. Um, it is something that we did in our general plan at the city of Grass Valley. And so I, I make that recommendation. Um, there is so much change going on, and change is not bad. I accept change. I've made change. I understand change. Um, but we need to have the community, as you see from tonight's meeting, involved in that change and understanding that change and feeling that change and accepting that change. It's hard to explain it. They don't understand the process. And the 2035 Thank plan can help and I hope the 2040 plan will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Chair, for the record, on item five, we had no speaker slips for that item as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. Our last speaker for public, mat uh, public comments matters not on the agenda will be Indrajit. Please come forward. The reason why I wanted to stay and talk is the matter that I came here for was decided but I want to let you know that at the end of last January, we invited city staff to come to talk to us. We had a list of 13 general plan provisions that we thought the project was in violation of. And I am a very careful listener, and I did not hear anyone mention the, uh, the uh, HAA. And I, over the summer, read the uh, PUD documents and the planning code many, many times. And actually, it was fascinating. And um, I wrote an extensive letter, a five-page letter, on why the uh, uh, exceptional environmental characteristics language should be adhered to. And on advice of a uh, retired land use attorney in Campus Commons, he said, ask the city for a response. So I asked the city for the response, and the response I got was, your PUD is silent. I would have appreciated if they said, your PUD is silent. Please read California Code 65589.5. Because if we had... Instead of thinking we should keep our raised money for legal, we would have pursued the historic designation, which we thought was going to be 80000 Maybe that was a too high amount. So had we known about HAA last January 30th, 
if the staff, when we talked about the, the general plan provisions, if they had said, we hear you, but hey, you need to read the uh, HAA, especially the beefed up 2017, we would have done things differently. So I feel like we didn't get the right direction from the planning staff. And you guys are planning commissioners, and I think you're all linked up to a different city council person. So if you can let your city council person know that in the future, when the planning staff goes to talk to the community, they need to tell them to read the HAA. And uh, uh, direct, oh, the two that gave asked a lot of questions, thank you very much. And I read an article about you in the SAC B, and what I, the reason I always thought, man, I think he would love it if that building could be converted into studios, and the studios could be owned by young retail people who are working in the area. Oh, that would be so cool. But no one's thinking that way. Thank you very much. And I so much. I'm going to ask Howard to invite me to the meetings he comes to because I've enjoyed learning a lot from him. Thank you for your Next. time. We'll see you on the 25th. Pardon? We'll see you on the January 25th at our yes. next meeting. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Chair, we have no other speaker slips. Thank you very much. Um, so that uh, concludes the public comments. Oh, okay. Uh, Commissioner Chase. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Um, I want to jump in, and I wanted to thank you for your service uh, to our commission. Um, you've just done a great job, I think, you know, keeping us on track, but at the same time being very humane and considerate of, of er everyone, you know, coming before you. I always remember when I first came on to commission, it was in the, you know, pandemic. So I, I didn't see any of you in person. It was all through, you know, Zoom. And I remember the first time uh, you asked me for coffee, and I, oh, now I finally meet her in person. It was, it was a nice experience. We finally all got together. But uh, you've done a great job, and thank you very much. Thank you so much, Commissioner Chase. I appreciate that. We have also Commissioner Buckley. Yeah, I wasn't going to keep us in the OT to thank you, but, um, but since it started, <laughs> um, no, I just really have appreciated um, how you've uh, managed your role, and um, you've done an excellent job. It's been, I think, a master class in yeah. uh, chairing a committee, so I learned a lot even just watching you, so thank you so much. Giving me ideas for podcasts or something. <laughs> master class on sharing. Thank you very much. Uh, that concludes our meeting, and this meeting stands adjourned at 7.53 p.m. Last time. Last gavel. <laughs>